I'm Shruti. And I'm Julie. And this is a podcast of convenience. Sure is. I just said that Julie had a really juicy mouth. You said we have juicy mouths, by the way. Don't don't bury me without digging your own <laughs> grave. It's not inaccurate. All I could hear last time was my juicy mouth noises. I don't hear your juicy mouth noises, and I don't edit out your juicy mouth noises. I edit out 4,000 juicy mouth noises from myself. Um... We got some wet mouths. I feel like this is going to be really upsetting for some people. <laughs> it's upsetting for me. It's upsetting that we're having to realize that we have juicy mouths. <laughs> it's really <laughs> just the, the phrasing, juicy mouths, that's upsetting. <laughs> it's like filled with saliva. Yeah. Um, I'm going to India in two days. Whoa, really? Is it that soon? Yes. We got our PCR test yesterday and our visa approved it. So we're going. That's so exciting. Wait, is it just you and your parents though, right? It is just me and my parents this time. And you're going to go wedding dress shopping? Yes. Yay. Can you hear the dog chewing on the bone in the back? I can't. Okay, I feel like it's vibrating the floor. (laughs) I think every time time we complain about the dogs, everyone who listens goes, I didn't hear your dogs. So I'm going to assume that she's good. Okay. And you know what? Maybe this will be the time that you guys know that she exists because she exists. We're not just hallucinating three dogs running around all the time. No, they're real. Oh my god, could you imagine if we were hallucinating? <laughs> like everyone's just too nice to tell us that our dogs died ten years ago. I mean, my dog did die ten years ago. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> I've had a lot of dogs. Um, I've had yeah, I've had a lot of dogs. They don't live forever. It's really sad. <laughs> Jesus. You know who the saddest news of this week was? Pot roast dying. Pot roast the TikTok cat. Yeah. Did you see the video of Pot Roast Mom where she was taking Pot Roast to get taxidermied for real? Oh, God, no. Is it real? It's real. She's taking Pot Roast to get taxidermied like the joke. I kind of love it. People may not know who Pot Roast is. (laughs) (laughs) Pot Roast is a cat, was a cat on TikTok, um, who Julie and I both got into parasocial relationships with. And Pot Roast had somatitis and was like a very sickly looking cat with no teeth. And the joke was always that he looked like he was taxidermied, so everyone thought Pot Roast was dead. But he wasn't. Or she wasn't. And um, she died this week. She was just scruffy, and now she's dead. For real. And it's devastating to watch Pot Roast's mom grieve so publicly. But we're all grieving with her, so. Now I hear your dog. Audrey? Cease and desist. Go sit down. I don't want to, like, take it from her. She's going to pee on the rug. Audrey, come here. Give me that. <laughs> Give me that. She's a very vengeful dog. Stop chewing on the bone. No, don't go back to the bone. You're going to cut all this out, right? No. Unlikely. I have to get it from her. I feel so cruel. Give me that. Go sit down. She's, like, been sleeping all day. I feel like a really cruel mom for taking away her only source of enjoyment. I... Anyways. Yeah, I feel like that, too, when I stop my dogs from obsessively licking their paws. But then Harley gives herself yeast infections between her toes, and then I stop feeling bad. Yikes. Oh, my She's God, yikes. Just from She's licking? A, yeah, from, like, a, like a warm, moist environment constantly between her toes gives her yeast infections. Oh God, she no, nasty. She's- She's climbing in to get the bone. Andre, we have to talk about a book. Go away. Come on, I give you treats and everything. I give you dinner. Anyways... Yeast infections. <laughs> India. <laughs> India. Um, yes. 
we're going for like two and a half weeks and today was my the dog started breaking today was my last day of work before i won pto nice and audrey come here come here you have to leave that bark in just so people know she's real. <laughs> um, okay. Anyways, we're going. We're going to be there for two and a half weeks. We have a lot of shopping to do and seeing family and hopefully not getting COVID. The end. Wear a mask. I will. I was thinking I might um, like co-opt our TikTok page to post videos from India just because like more than half of the followers on our TikTok page are our friends. And I'm like, hey, I can just show you guys what I'm doing. Do it. So, yeah. People might be like, this isn't about books, and then I'll stop doing it. I think I think it's TikTok. No one will notice if you put some personal ones on there. They'll like it. Cool. Now, Julie, are you going to post your personal life on TikTok? No. Why? Because it's boring. There's nothing to post about. You volunteer at a wildlife sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, but we're not allowed to take pictures. Oh, that's dumb. I mean, I'm sure they have a reason for it, but that's dumb. <laughs> I want to see I know. I, there's a jillion animals. There was like a baby chipmunk the other day that I wanted desperately to take pictures of because we have to, we like brush them with little mascara wands. That's how we like straighten out their fur. <sighs> but I couldn't take any videos or pictures. It's the cutest thing I've ever heard. It was very cute. What else? After we get back from India, I'm back for a week and then we're going to Austin. Hell yeah, we are. Yeah. We being me and Julie. And our other bridesmaids, the the other bridesmaids of the party. And we're going to get probably a little wasted. <laughs> I'm just excited to you. be in your physical presence. I haven't seen you since 2019 in person. So this would be really exciting for me. Is it really? Has it been that long? October of 2019 when we celebrated my 30th birthday. God, we got that fucking trip in right under the wire, didn't we? We really did. And it was the best. It was the best. Was it 20? Yeah, 89, yeah, 89 to 19. Time has no meaning anymore, as you well know. True. Um, cool. That's my intro. I got nothing else going on, but I'm leaving the country. <laughs> That's exciting. It's hella exciting. Let's talk about book. The book for book club. <laughs> the <laughs> the book, book podcast. The book podcast. Can I show you my um, bookmark that I've been using? I finished sure. this book 10 minutes ago so did you really that's why i was a little like set to get the animals all fed and i'm like oh shit yeah i've just been really busy with weddings obviously with wedding planning it's probably getting boring by now but i was like i'll do it yesterday and then i had to get invitations ordered yesterday so i was like i will do it today after work but my bookmark is a del scorcho sauce packet a full one a full unopened del scorcho sauce packet and it's you're been in this so book brave for like a month you're so much braver than me how am i brave i'm not gonna squish it you might what if you put your bag in a pur- your book in a purse or something and it just got squished i haven't put it in a purse <laughs> okay and there's also like post-it notes on here so it's not like i couldn't remove the sauce packet but i just never did i can remove it now I finished. No, now it's charming. You got to leave it. Oh, I dropped it. I'm going to use that in my burrito. (laughs) It's had quite a journey. It's really had quite a journey of living in this book for a month. So the book that we read is Honest Illusions by Nora Robert, written in 1992. Correct? Going back. Nope. Julie, talk while I look this up. Yes, 1992. No, I got it. That did great. 
Yep. Glad I could help. <laughs> so I read this many, many years ago. You probably did as well. I don't remember. And I haven't read it since like 20, 2007 or eight, maybe. So I don't remember anything about it. And so this was really great and weird and upsetting. <laughs> it was a weird ride. <laughs> I had a good time. Yeah, I, I want to know how it comp- how your memory of it compared to how it actually was. Well, me at 18, 19 years old is a very per- different person than me at like 32. So when I read it the first time, I remember really liking it because I remember loaning this one out to friends and um, I just wasn't reading. I feel like books weren't as accessible to me at that time because of money and I was a high school student. So I'm like, whatever I can get, I'm going to read. And I really liked this book at the time. And I liked the magician thing, the whole plot of the book being around um, this world, like a little world building. Found family. I'm obsessed with found family. So that was really nice. Um, But the romance piece of it, I actually probably liked it a lot more back then because I was a lot more okay with um, really problematic men and male anger than I am now. I feel like male anger has to walk a really delicate line for me now to be acceptable. And he turned that male anger on her one too many times to the point where I was like, this is really challenging. Actually, I just looked at my post-it note. I have a list of trigger warnings before we start this episode. Oh, good idea. Shoot, I almost forgot. Before we get into all the weird problematic stuff, let me warn you about all the weird problematic stuff that comes up in this book. So if you have an issue with any of the following things that I'm about to list, um, we will not be offended if you skip this episode because we are- Or the book. Maybe don't read the book. If any of this is bothersome to you, definitely don't read the book because it gets in pretty graphic, weird um, places. So the first thing is that Nora Roberts uses the phrase, now considered a slur in 2022, she uses the phrase gypsy- Um, in a romantic way when we now recognize that that is not a respectful term to be using. So that's the first one. The second two, it's sexual assault and then also the sexual assault of children. So if you have any problems with sexual assault or sexual, sexual assault of children in terms of reading, we all have problems with it in terms of real life. But in terms of reading it, if you have a problem with that, feel free to skip this. And then the last one I had was, um, Mentions of Alzheimer's and dementia, because I know that that can be very triggering for people who are experiencing that or have experienced that. And so it's a big part of the book. And so if that's not something you want to read about, then this is one I would recommend skipping. Makes sense. Makes sense. Julie, what did you think about this in 2022? I, so I I don't remember if I read it when we were younger. I feel like it's the kind of book you would have given me. But for those who don't know me, I have the worst memory in the universe. I pretty much don't remember anything before I was like 13. And then 13 to like 20 is kind of a blur. Um, My friends do all my remembering for me. That's when we entered your life at 13. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone I know does my remembering for me and just tells me cool memories that we had. Um, So I don't remember the book at all. It was like brand new. I, I tore through it like it was compelling enough that I wanted to keep reading it and obviously I had problems with it but like something about it was it caught like it something about it hooked me enough to keep reading it I didn't like you said I, I didn't think it was particularly romantic because their relationship was the least interesting part of it to me 
But I think that that doesn't make it a bad book. It just makes it a better novel than a romance novel to me. I agree. And I think that, I mean, I didn't tear through it this time just because I've been way too busy to even feel like reading. But um, I always feel like Nora Roberts' books come in two categories. And it's the really character-driven, low-stakes, low-plot kind of romance novel. And then there's more of the crime um based like this is like a crime based book um and those books always tend to put the romance as like ancillary to the actual plot of the book and that actually makes sense if you think about the career of Nora Roberts who's been writing since the 80s maybe before but she has a pen name uh JD Robb that she wrote under for like a long time and those books were specifically crime books that she um probably wanted to write without having like the romance kind of overshadow the actual quality of a crime book. So I do think that she's always written crime really well. And if we ever do another Nora Roberts book, I have a better one that's like more modern that I actually really like and have reread in current No, years. I mean, I, I didn't dislike this. I think it was interesting how it spanned decades. Yeah. And um, I liked, I like a good magic story. I like a good heist. Um, and then there was some romance thrown in. I just didn't particularly care for it because it felt incestuous to me that too okay let's talk about the plot of the book before we just launch Um, into incest trigger warning mentions of incest but it doesn't they're not actually related (laughs) it just feels like incest yeah they do mention like and we'll we'll get to it anyways just fyi if you have a problem with that word being brought up in your life here it's gonna come up again here it is and apologies for (laughs) throwing that in there that's upsetting (laughs) to you okay so the plot of the book which I actually really enjoyed, just the overarching plot of the book. I thought it was so fun. Um, it takes place, it starts at a carnival where um, there is a little pickpocket. I think he's like 11 or 12 at the time. His name is Luke Callahan, and he is our male protagonist in the book. And he is escaping from, you know, as we had mentioned, a very problematic childhood his mother had a a series of like abusive boyfriends and then the abusive boyfriend that finally got this small child to the point where he ran away from home attempted to sell him sexually and we never actually know through the duration of the book whether that act had occurred or not but it is very much like an emotional through line for Luke as a character where he is experiencing a lot of shame around that experience um and no one in this book goes to therapy so they all need it he just he just raw dogs that feeling the whole Every single time one of them needs and it's it. hard desperately oh yeah um so luke is at a carnival and he's picking pockets and someone notices and that is max nouvelle maximilian nouvelle oh julie made a face like she likes him i do I love Max. How do you? How do you not like Max? I have I one literally quote. Literally to read one thing in this entire oh my God. book. That... Oh wait, I have I have literally one quote to read in the entire book. I wonder if it's the same one. Should we? Let's talk about the book, and then when we get to that point, we'll. I'm so excited. We'll okay, read. I hope it's the same one. Because I just said there's one thing that really bothered me, and you said wait. <laughs> there's literally one, and it's literally one line. It's not even a thing he did. Agree. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I hope it's the same. About thing. like two thirds of the way through. Anyways, we'll get to it. It's kind of a long read, so there's a lot that happens. Um, so Luke, you know, is caught by the attention of this magician who's doing a show in the carnival. And we find out later he owns the carnival. 
and that's Max. And Max essentially notices in Luke um, something similar to what he kind of experienced his, in himself as a child. So he sees in Luke the potential to kind of be a prodigy, to kind of be his, um, like, I don't know. Sometimes like older figures look at kids and go like, yes, you are me and now I will raise you. To be me. To be me. And that's essentially what happens. He um, invites Luke into the carnival um, to kind of not necessarily apprentice at first, but to start helping out with the carnival. And along the way, he becomes kind of Max's apprentice and kind of heir to not just magic, but also high stakes jewel thievery, which is so fun. They're jewel thieves. They're jewel thieves. They're um, carnival owners and jewel thieves this whole found family which is great and magicians and max has a daughter who's a few years younger than luke and her name is roxanne nouvelle so very dramatic names along the nouvelle family maximilian and roxanne it's great and they kind of grow up together. That's like the plot of the book where when we talk about like that emotional incest, it's very much like the first half of the book. I like realize that we actually start at the end, but I'm going to tell it chronologically rather than um, jumping back and forth because that gets really yeah. confusing. Um, it's a book that jumps around with time a little bit in like a three act format. Um, so Roxanne and Luke grow up as siblings for all intents and purposes and in the found family, we have Max, who's the father figure. There is Lily, who is the mother figure. And she's like this really flighty, like always wanted to be a biological mother, but could never have children. So she just adopts all of these um, strays into her found family. Um, Mouse, who I love Mouse. Mouse is one of my favorite characters in this book. Julie, did you freeze? No, I'm just thinking about why you like Mouse. He's you, so boring. You don't like Mouse? I don't dislike him. I nothing him. You nothing Mouse? You nothing Mouse? <laughs> He's boring. He is not boring. Tell I me disagree. two redeeming qualities about Mouse. I'm sorry. Does he need to be redeemed? He's done nothing Tell me two things about Mouse, period, that, aren't having, that have nothing to do with his physical appearance. I find Mouse's personality to be like unerringly sweet and that he's a very caring character who's kind of like the backbone of the whole operation in terms of emotional, you know, the, the emotions of it. The emotions? He doesn't have one conversation about emotions with anybody. When he like takes Roxy to like Mexico to go find Luke and he's like, I'm going to be there for you even though you don't want me to be. And he, like, lets himself be verbally abused for, like, weeks while they're trying to find Luke because he okay, cares so much about that. her. And he's, like, a mechanic. I was thinking about their childhood still. Oh, no, in, in the childhood, he's kind of, like, a young adult. So he's, um, yeah, he's a, a strong, silent type. Doesn't say much, but he, like, teaches Luke how to drive and teaches Luke about mechanics. And I like him, Julie. Dang it. Coming for my... <laughs> Coming from my blood I don't. Right I now. don't. I'm not judging you for liking him. I'm just like you, you. You love him so passionately, and I feel like he didn't get to like shine anymore. Oh, let in this me book, really. let me guess. You like Leclerc? Is that your favorite character, Julie? N- not my favorite. I mean, he was fine. He was cool. He was terrible. <laughs> you think he was terrible? No, I don't think he was terrible, but he wasn't my favorite for sure. Anyway, so Leclerc is also like the grandfather of the family. <laughs> like Mouse would be like a brother. Leclerc would be like the grandfather who was the um person who indoctrinated Max into this world of 
both thievery and magician magicianry when he was a child. So it's like a continuation of a legacy. Hey, thing. is magicianry magic? magic? Is that word magic? Magicry? Magicianry? I like magicianry better. <laughs> is that just magic? Is it? Into the world of magic, into the world of magicianry. I know it's magic, but I like magicianry better. <laughs> All right, now that's what it is. Yes. So you get like Leclerc, you get Mouse, you get Lily. Um, and then the kids are Luke and Roxy. And they grow up. They become teenagers. They start fighting this sexual attraction to each other. Roxy really doesn't, I think, as much because she... I think she always, like, growing up, had a crush on Luke to a certain extent. Luke fights it, like, tooth and nail because he's like, that is my sister in all but blood, and this feels so wrong to me. And I think, like, if he had fought it less, it would have felt less gross to me. But he fought it so hard that by the end when he gives in, you're like, oh. You're like, yeah, it felt wrong to us too, Luke. Thanks. Yeah, we wouldn't have thought about it this hard if you hadn't thought about it this hard. So, like, we're a little uncomfortable now. Um, if he yeah if he was like oh she's my childhood best friend and like i don't yeah you're right if he hadn't fought it if he hadn't been like ew it's gross because there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of romance novels that are about people being raised together um who end up falling in love when they get older that don't feel incesty this one does because he said emotional incest like six times there's like four or five lines that really bother me that like where people around them will like mention like she did what little sisters have been doing to big brothers since time began. She made his life hell. Like, literally. Um, at one point, Lily has, like, a thought where she says it says she waited a long time to see her two children find each other. That's weird. It's super weird. That's There's weird. so much incest. Yeah. Ick. It's weird, and I think it's really unnecessary. Like, if they had just cut out a... Or if she had... They. If Nora Roberts had cut out a couple lines about... Um, <laughs> incest sibling vibe yeah Yeah, i mean i didn't mind it so much when they were really young because i i just felt like it was like sweet like relationships do change you're being raised together it's not like you are actually siblings it's like almost like childhood best friends like yeah it could have been i don't know guys and girls are friends when they're kids and they do drive each other crazy sometimes and it's just like just just kids but when you're like a yeah. adult and or even a teenager and like there was a scene actually there's two more things i wanted to mention like they they're not trigger warnings but it's things that were romanticized that i am not entirely happy with oh, and yeah, the first thing is male anger the romantic romanticization of male anger which happens a lot in older books um, and sometimes in modern books but, like, they get into physical fights, uh, Roxy and Luke. And, like, there's a point where, like, Roxy, like, splits his lip and it's, like, a part of a sex act. But it's, like, be- <laughs> because they're so non-consensual when they're doing this, like, whatever. You like aggression in your sex life. That's perfectly fine. But there should be a baseline of consent to it. All of this is very non-consensual fighting. And then that, yeah. like, leads to non-consensual sexual acts. And I'm, like, that's that's not something I want to see anymore. And then the other thing, which is what made me think of this list, um, is like the fact that the entire cast of characters are very in a gray space in terms of morals. Like they all do things sometimes outside of the thievery where I'm like, oh, I don't know about you, <laughs> you know, which is a bummer. 
Uh, well, see, I think that's interesting. I don't, I don't hate it when a character is morally ambiguous. I don't either. Obviously not. Unless it's a not romance like, novel. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. If this I don't was, know, I, think, I think that just made it more interesting. Yeah. If this was a straight thriller um, or like a straight up like heist crime book, that would have made it really fun for me because I know what I'm getting into. But because I really want to root for these guys like beginning to end, it just makes me, it pulls me out a little bit where I'm like, oh, she tried to hit him like seven times. Okay, cool. Oh, he threw her to the ground. All right, fine. Uh, but the one thing that like I was just thinking of was when Roxy is starting to develop as a woman and Luke is fighting these feelings, he goes on a heist where like there's a woman in the house that he has to go like seduce. I don't know if he had to seduce her, but he ends up seducing her as a part of it. And, like, the way that that whole scene was written was so, like, we know you love Roxy, but the things that you're doing are so icky and, like, mean. Like, you're, you're like, railing this random woman, and the way you talk about her is so gross, you know? Like, it doesn't feel like he's a good person in that moment at all. Which in another book, I'd be like, yeah, there's room for growth. And we've got like a character arc and I'm happy about it. But I didn't want to see him do that. I wanted him to like, I mean, if you're going to have sex with other people, which is fine in a romance novel, I'm okay with that. But like, don't be so grindy about it. Like you're using her. It feels really gross. Yeah, I can see where having having a little bit of gray morals in terms of like, for instance, they steal, but they only steal from people who are disgustingly rich because they know that they can afford the loss. And, like, that's, you know, like, oh, theft is wrong, but I still like that character. But having a character in a romance novel, in a straight, in a heterosexual romance novel where he's supposed to fall in love with a woman and then having him be disrespectful toward women in general all the time, it, it does feel quite icky. And to her directly. Super disrespectful to her all the time, too. Yeah, which was hard to get past for me. Because totally. she, she loved him so much from, like, beginning to end. And that's, like, a hella bummer. He needed therapy, and he needed to drink his Respect Women juice, yep. and he did none of it. No, but he had, like, dark hair and a ponytail, so, like, ooh, I'm into it. <laughs> That's enough. He's so Sometimes muscly all and you strong. Need. He's so tortured, which is, I get, like, it's the 90s thing. It's like he's tortured. a tortured protagonist. He's been through a lot, and so he can get away with doing really, really shit things because he had a horrible childhood, which um, it's a lot harder to get away with, I think, in the modern era. Because totally. no one wants to hear that story anymore. We're all living it and we're tired. We're <laughs> <laughs> so tired. We're so tired of um, male anger. Cool. So continuing on with our plot summary. They're teenagers. He's like fighting it. Oh, he has that really like gross scene with that woman. <laughs> so weird. I didn't like it. Uh, I thought it was super unnecessary. And then there's like a subplot to this whole thing, which kind of ties into the whole heist piece of it, which is there is a, a villain of the piece and his name is Sam Wyatt. And he kind of comes into the Nouvelle's life when I think Roxy's in high school. So I think I'm backtracking a little bit. Um, he is kind of like Luke's foil in terms of Luke had a really hard childhood, arguably like a really, really challenging situation to come back from and he has like supposedly framed out as a heart of gold i'm framing it that way because the book framed it that way whether i agree or not is up for discussion 
Um, and then there's this character of Sam who kind of ran away from home as well, but he came from a very affluent middle-class family and he's just running away because he's an asshole and he like hates his parents for no reason. And he's just framed out as a very um, entitled dirtbag guy. And he plays on Roxy's feelings that he's like, oh, I'm on the streets. And he gets scammed when she's doing like the three-card Monty or something like that on the streets. Like she's just practicing and he gets scammed and he doesn't like it. So he decides that he's going to like ingratiate himself into this family and he kind of takes on the role that Luke had taken on a couple of years ago of like quasi-apprenticeship, but no one except for Roxy ever really gets like a really great vibe from him because he doesn't have that je ne sais quoi that Luke had <laughs> that really like allowed everyone I think, everyone I think in. it's not even so much that he doesn't have the je ne sais quoi. I think it's they, they fully get like creep vibes from him. Because he's a creep. I mean, he is. They're all right. And Roxanne is just, you know. 13 or whatever and doesn't get it yeah and she's also very innocent and has like a heart of gold at that point where she's like never been hurt by anyone um she's like very trusting and so then we find out that sam is stealing from a lot of the shops in the neighborhood and max kind of confronts him because they come to him and they say hey roxy was there that day too we're not saying it's her but like you really need to look into this because that kid's bad bad news he's stealing shit and not in the cute way that we do it, like in a bad way, without morals. <laughs> from like, from a mom and pop shop, it's not cool. Yeah. From like a, a multi-billionaire, then sure. Yeah, exactly. They, they've got their line in the sand, and I can appreciate that. Um, and so they essentially kick him out of the house. But before he moves on in his life, he um, attacks Roxy after school and... Who would come across this scene but Luke, of course. And Luke beats his face in, <laughs> which is the <laughs> only kind of male anger that I can ever appreciate in books, which is when it's not at the female protagonist or like physical violence. Like obviously anger has a place in the world, but physical violence does not when it's with your partner. But yeah, if someone's abusing, you know, your lady friend in the streets, beat their face in. No, that's hot. That's always hot and it always probably always will be. Um, it's, you know, we shouldn't condone violence, but like defending another person is hot. It's really hot. And also like, I don't know, punch a Nazi. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> True. I condone, I condone physical violence against Nazis 100% of the time and white supremacists. Get them. Fucking get them. Fuck them fuck, fuck up. So they, he fucks them up and <laughs> Sam, <laughs> Sam runs away and Roxy's like, no, Luke, no, your beautiful hands, your magician's hands. <laughs> Stop. And so... <laughs> Uh, Luke eventually stops pummeling his face in and Sam runs away with his tail tucked but plotting revenge and he carries this plot of revenge pretty much through the entire book where he is the villain and they go on a boat for a while we like get some cute (laughs) cute like family scenes and then on the boat is when sorry when Roxanne finally seduces Luke because she's like I'm hot, and I can tell he's into me, but he's just really holding back, so I gotta, like, seduce him. And she does. And it's really fine. I think for the time period, like, that kind of a scene is a lot more common, where she's just, like, like, naked and vulnerable, and he's just, like, no, I don't, I don't want you. I really don't want you. And he's, like, hurting her emotionally because of that because he's really like the emotional incest is making me sick to my stomach i don't want to do this and she's like i'm naked touch me 
So I want. I do want to. I do want to elaborate on one thing. Mm-hmm. There's like eight reasons why he doesn't want to be with her. Emotional incest is top of the list. He also feels like indebted to Max and doesn't want to do anything to piss Max off. Partially because he feels like he owes Max his whole mm-hmm. life, which he does, and partially because a part of him is still like a small, afraid child who is afraid that he'll be cast out of the family. Um, also, he has like a very large amount of shame about his possible assault as a child that he does not actually remember whether or not it happened because he was knocked unconscious um but he holds that shame like very close and um kind of it kind of gives him like i'm not good enough for her thing and i believe also at this point his his awful evil like sadistic piece of shit stepfather has re-entered his life and is blackmailing him for money because when he became a famous semi-famous magician his stepfather started sending him postcards saying give me money or I'll tell everyone that you were like a child prostitute, essentially. Oh, not even that. Like the real line in the sand for him. Oh yeah. It was not just that um, Max was afraid of being outed as being a child sex worker, but he was afraid that he was going to say that Max had abused him as well as a child. And that was like the line in the sand that really freaked him out beyond all of it to start paying was I don't want Max's name to be tarnished after he did all this for me, which was very sad. Yeah. So he's been, you know, a couple times a year paying this person a bunch of money to keep quiet. And he doesn't, he hasn't told anybody in the family that. Um, so for like 20 reasons, basically he's trying not to have sex with his adopted sister. <laughs> Go figure. Go figure. He's got a lot on But his then mind. they just, then they just do, you know, yeah, and then Lily's like, "My children, I finally <laughs> Jill, are finally my children banging. Are finally banging, and, and it's I'm all so ever happy wanted. about it. It's all she ever we wanted. We love to see it. <laughs> oh, she loves to see her children bang. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh my God. Um, where do we go from that? That's a nightmare. Okay, I'm going to bring up this quote now. Because um, it was. After one of the black, it was after the first blackmail scene. That's why I think it came up because he gets really drunk and attempts to do an escape because that's what uh, Luke is really famous for in the magician world is doing these really elaborate, dangerous escapes. But he was hungover because he had just confronted his abusive stepfather, I guess you'd call him. And he talks to Max and they have like a heart to heart and then... Max is essentially like, oh, is it a woman that's doing, like, are you upset because of a woman? Julie, am I on the right track? Is this what you're thinking of? It's not, actually. I'm, I'm kind of sad. Oh, my God. That means Max is. Mine is mine is way more petty. Okay. Mine is really just gross. I didn't like it at all. Um, and so Max is like, oh, is it a woman? Blah, blah, blah. And then he just starts talking about, like, the concept of women. And I'm going to read just a little bit of it. And I'll cut around a little bit. But Max is talking to Luke. And he says, I would hardly admit this in front of the delightful ladies of our house, but a man is not led by the nose, but by the dick. Which is gross, but, like, fine. <laughs> um, and then you also, like, think, like, he's talking about Lily and all of this. So it's like, okay, cool. This is fine. These are our parental figures, and I'm only a little uncomfortable, but it's okay. And then he says, um, hold on, here we go. We are, after all, an animal with intellect, but an animal nonetheless... We bury ourselves in a woman, don't we? Quite literally. How many among us can resist that illusion of returning to the womb? <laughs> oh, I didn't remember that. Was, oh, it's so gross. It was so icky. 
And like because Max throughout the majority of this book is such a likable father figure, it's just like, ew, Max, gross. Returning to the womb. Yeah, and then like Luke is like, oh, like bouncing on a woman. And they're just in that crass man's talk thing. And I'm like, ugh. Ew. Yeah, I hated the whole piece of it. I don't remember that. I must have blocked that out. So I read a horror mo- a horror novel where someone quite literally returns to a womb. It's called Womb. <laughs> I forgot about and Womb. And that's all I can think about now. I hope I ruined <laughs> and Max I'm fucking for you traumatized. Of womb. I probably blocked that out because I didn't want you to ruin Max. I didn't want Nora Roberts to ruin Max for me by thinking about Womb every time. But now I'm gonna. Yeah. Gross, Max. And like, it's Ew, even Max. weirder when you get meta and you think like Nora Roberts wrote Max and wrote Max saying that. Why would you say that? Nora, what do you think about men that you would make him say that to us? Are straight people okay? No. <laughs> uh. So this is really silly, but my, mine is so minor and petty and was kind of a joke. But like, it's nothing. At one point, um, Lily's crying, like very early on in the book, page 34. In she fact. cries a lot. <laughs> Lily's, Lily's crying. Um, he tells her to go fix her face. Oh <laughs> it's so it's so stupid. Oh man! Now knowing that that womb conversation <laughs> happened, my thing feels so stupid. But I laughed my ass off when I saw it. He literally says, "Now go fix your face." <laughs> so I've worked with a lot of boomers in my time, and I'm not gonna call out who this is specifically, just in case I'd never want them this to get back to them. But um, I had a coworker once who was talking about her husband, and they had a very like loving relationship. She's also like, oh, so happy with her husband, and I'm like, that's great. But apparently, like, he used because I would always be like, I don't, I'm not a big fan of, like, makeup. I don't like to wear it myself, personally, very often, or, like, really put a lot of work in. And I always go on these feminist rants. It's just, it's just part of who I am. But she was just like, yeah, my husband always tells me I need to paint the barn doors. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> the fact that that happened a full decade ago and I still remember it with such clarity, it really, like, changed me as a person. I was like, are you okay? <laughs> so upsetting but she's in the what? generation that was coming up when these books were being written so it's like it's just so common that that's what dudes would be saying <laughs> not, my dad still says shit like that and i get mad i'm like excuse me oh my oh. god that's fucking awful but paint the paint <laughs> she's like i need to be, he says i need to paint the barn doors and then she laughed and i wanted to oh. cry i wanted to cry for her i was like that's horrible and she's like no it's oh, funny it i'm like it's oh, both. it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. In it wouldn't. She shouldn't be laughing at it, but it's funny in hindsight that how that man it was so awful. But like, if Evan she should ever have run said away that screaming. to me, I swear to God, I would like, I would pull up Roxy to Luke and like just kick his nards in. <laughs> like, I was gonna bad. say I'd, I'd resort to violence most likely. <laughs> yeah, how dare you? Yeah, it's one of the things I like about Evan. He's like, he's like, I'm excited for one day when you get gray hair. I think you're gonna look really pretty with gray hair, and I'm just like. Get out of here. I'm going to knock you to the floor. I'm so mad. That's so sweet. Okay. If you're going to strike him when he's mean and strike him when he's nice, then what hope does he have? It's one of those things. It's like, uh, what do they call it? Like the cute, um, when something's really cute and you want to bite it. Cute aggression. Yes. Is that really what it's called? I didn't know there was a word, a phrase for it. I don't know if it's the real thing, but they, they call it that on TikTok. So I just, you know, like we want to bite your cat and I'm like, that's weird. Like when you see a, like a kitten that's really cute and you want to just like twist its head off. Yes. Yeah. Cute aggression. Oh, my God. Crush it with your hands. For people that have never had that urge, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Julie and I both have really bad invasive thoughts. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I I gave in the other day. My husband was walking towards me. I'm sorry. Gave in to your intrusive thought. Don't do that. 
I just twisted a kitten's head right off. No, I, um, I was Casey was walking towards me. Story. I, my brain was just like, he was walking between me and like a table to get to the couch. And my brain was just like, what if he just like tripped him? And then I just lifted my leg up and tripped him. And the best part was he was walking towards me. So he felt he like had to catch himself. He barely caught himself from landing fully upon me and like knocking me unconscious with his forehead. That's kind of funny. And, yet I was, I was, and then I was immediately like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like as if somebody else had done it kind of. Julie, I think and you then, need to review the medication they're giving you. <laughs> I just changed insurances. So my new doctor will have better ideas for me. Oh, good. That's yeah. so troubling to me that you were immediately – because I'm like, you used to bite us all the time. Neurodivergence. Yeah. Figure it out eventually. That's true. Remember the slap bet? That was a wild time. Oh, my God. For, for what was it, like three years, mm-hmm. Shruti and I just slapped each other all the time? But- it wasn't even a bet. It was like I think maybe the first one was a bet like oh if you, if if you if I win I get to slap you really hard and yeah. then it just became when that your friend isn't suspecting it slap them as hard as you can yeah and we did it in public a few times and it was just like people would be it honestly in retrospect it's kind of funny because it's just like <laughs> can you imagine just watching some like small little brown girl just slap her tall ass friend with like no repercussion and the friend just starts laughing I feel like we were in line for like a Mumford and Sons it was the Mumford and Sons concert yeah and you just like hauled back and like I think we were even on like, a curb silent. we were standing yeah, on a curb standing outside the, the venue and you just fully slapped me and we never there was never you couldn't retaliate in the moment you had to wait until it was like yeah unexpected yeah the whole point of it was to surprise them and like it's the weird thing is like over time it just got really like exciting almost because like when it happened you just weren't expecting it and so you're like oh my god that was amazing you like appreciate it yeah Yeah, the the effort it was almost like art it was years we uh, did eventually agree to stop doing that though which is good very stupid we're never doing it again i'm never gonna do that no we're too old to to, for physical violence we'll end up like breaking a crown or something i think it started in high school which i think is fair and then it ended yeah that's a good age for it it ended like a year or two into college. Oh <laughs> Too <my God>. old for it. <laughs> Anyways, we have a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where were we in this plot uh, summary? Okay, so they're... So they fuck each other on the boat, yes. and then they're in love now. And they're, like, in love now. Yeah, so they're, like, fully in love, and then they go back to New Orleans, which is where the plot of this book mostly takes place because they have a traveling carnival but then they also have like a home base in new orleans so most of like the growing pains and stuff happens in new orleans and uh and this roxy, is where the book takes a very dark twist when roxy and luke move in together i mean shortly after shortly after oh yes so um along the way we've seen sam once and he's a politician's aide like for a senator in tennessee and he's starting to develop like a real smarmy political career. But you can tell, and also you get his inner monologue, that he's never forgotten the Nouvelle family or Luke. And he has been plotting his revenge the entire time. So we just kind of know he's hanging in the wings and that something's going to happen. But we don't know what. Um, I don't know why I keep cracking the book open like I'm looking at it. I'm really not. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, what am I looking at? Okay. So um, they move in together. And then Sam kind of emerges back into the picture again because uh, they meet Sam on the boat briefly and they were thinking they were going to do a heist on Sam on the boat, but they decide not to. Um, oh, because 
Max is starting to experience the early signs of Alzheimer's. And you can tell like Alzheimer's isn't super common diagnosis in the early 90s because the way they talk about Alzheimer's in this book is very like, whoa, it's this new thing that people are getting called Alzheimer's. And I'm like, okay, wow, we are really in a different like 20 years ago, which is interesting. Um, So that's why they don't rob Sam on the boat. But then they decide that they're going to do this heist um, kind of like Max's last hurrah heist. And my, Max has always had an issue with the idea of robbing Sam. Um, he just doesn't feel like it feels right. And honestly, he's correct in that assumption. They should have listened. Yeah, but Roxy's like, I just want to do this, blah, blah, blah. And he gets really emotional about it because of the fact that he can feel his own mind slipping. And um, it does feel kind of like a last hurrah for him to be able to orchestrate this heist, if not participate in it. So... The plan is that they're going to go rob Sam and his fiance of their jewels. And there's a big escape over like a bridge over water with Luke. And um, Roxy was supposed to be there, but she's not. And then she is actually back at the apartment, violently ill and throwing up and very sick. And so Luke ends up having to go on this heist alone. And so it's pretty much just Luke. He flies a plane out to D.C., Um, because he knows how to fly planes and they own a plane and mouse taught him how to fly the plane because we love mouse julie he's a great character Uh, what does one have to do with the other he's like an older brother figure julie i don't know what to tell you he's employed by them they paid him to teach him how to fly a plane they didn't pay him to teach He's in their employ the entire time julie everyone in the family is in the employ employ is that that not how you say it employ i actually like i i don't know why i I put a french spin on it oh my god i don't know where that came from but i just like i'm such a stand for mouse i hate that you don't like him as much as me it's okay (laughs) we can be different people and so uh yeah he flies out to dc and he is in the process of stealing the jewels when out of the shadows comes sam wyatt obviously the villain of the piece and says essentially This whole thing was a sting. And then out of the darkness again comes uh, Luke's stepfather, the real villain of his childhood. And turns out that Sam had been kind of orchestrating the whole extortion plan anyways. He was the one that brought Luke's stepfather back as like a form of torture. But when Luke was just paying everything like quietly, Sam realized that it wasn't enough revenge for him. He wanted more revenge, like more of that like gut feeling of revenge. And so, um, in front of Luke, Sam has kind of, like, drugged the bourbon that Luke is drinking, but we don't know that until, like, a second or two later, but he takes out a gun and he shoots, I think his name is Cobb, the stepfather, right between the eyes, and so, like, as Cobb falls to the ground dead, Luke is, like, shocked, and then he also passes out because he's been drugged. He wakes up with a gun in his hand, his, like, gloves have been removed, his prints are on the gun. And Wyatt is holding another gun on him and saying, you have two options. Uh, Either you go to jail for this because your prints are on this gun. And I can just say you broke in here. Oh, I think Evan's home. Audrey's starting to cry. And so um, the other option is leave. Leave forever. Leave the Nouvelles. Leave Roxy. And don't come back. And that's your only option. And so he leaves. 
he takes a plane and he flies to Mexico and sells it and just goes on the run. I want to interject again. Yes. That he ha- once again has more reasons for what he did um, in that Sam has also been collecting evidence about their jewel thievery and says, not only will you go to jail if, if you make that choice for killing Cobb, but I'm going to also turn in your family and they're going to go to jail for, for theft. Forgot about so that. Leaving is, yeah. leaving is kind of his kind of the better option in terms of if he wants to protect his family. Yeah, also because like Max is really starting to experience um like early onset dementia. It's like we're going to put him in jail and that is like a really threatening thing because he's not well. Um and then he leaves because of all those other things. So the yeah, the day after uh Luke is gone for Mexico, Roxy's like freaking out cuz he's deviated from the plan and it all feels wrong and then she realizes that she is indeed pregnant with his child and at this moment she doesn't have a real reason to believe that something's wrong so she kind of begins this quest to find Luke who does not know that she's pregnant with his child and Mouse goes with her to Mexico she's got like wicked um, bouts of morning sickness obviously we're really tugging on the heartstrings of guilt you know um, which I love. I love it when a dude does something bad and then, like, the the female protagonist, like, really gets to, like, dig in a knife of, like, you did a bad thing. <laughs> I, love, I love that piece in this book. Hey, we all have our thing. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so she's pregnant, like, searching, you know, the wilderness of Mexico to find her disappeared love of her, her life. And she finds out that he sold the plane And there's no evidence, like no trace left for them to like continue to track him. And so she realizes that he doesn't want to be found. And her heart is sliced cleanly into her. Her heart is broken and she goes back. She goes back. And then five years pass. And that's where the book actually begins um, in the future with Luke's return to uh, New Orleans. No, were they in New Orleans in the beginning? No. Yeah, right? No, because they have to fly to New Orleans at the end. Oh, okay. When we cut back, like, after more than half the book, we go back in time. Um, Anyways, he's kind of, like, coming back like the prodigal son because he has figured out a plan of action to enact his revenge against Sam and finally, like, reclaim his place in the family. But what he's walking into is... Again, the part of this book that I just like, oh, I love it. Like, twist that knife. He's walking into five years later in the future. He doesn't know he has a child yet. That gets kept from him for quite a bit of time. Uh, Roxy has hardened her heart against him totally. And it's just not like this beautiful reunion. It's like, hey, you are a terrible human being and I never wish to see you again. You ruined my life. Goodbye. And he has to kind of uh, crawl a little bit. A lot. He has to crawl a lot and feel a lot of feelings, a lot of bad feelings because everyone, you know, had to go on without him for five years and they all thought that he just abandoned them. Julie, your I, thoughts? I feel like if a, if a, like he's not a good character, we know that, but I feel like in this case, his crime or whatever was that he was trying to protect them. Like it came from a good place. Yes. So. I'm like, if, I can understand if you're like, oh, fuck yeah, a character getting his comeuppance and having to grovel because he did something really bad. But why do you want, why are you so tickled by him groveling when it really, it was not, not super his fault? It's not the matter of fault. 
or like his intention. It's more the fact that like, I think she needs something out of this. You know what I mean? Because she doesn't know why he comes back until quite a bit later. Like, it's not explained until quite a bit later. The actual reason why he left. As far as she knows, he abandoned her pregnant five years in the past and then shows up with, like, zero word. I would want groveling. If it were me, I'd be like, I would also want groveling. But then when when I found out the truth, if I had demanded groveling, I would have felt awful. I wouldn't feel awful. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) and there we are different people i wouldn't feel awful because the thing is it's like yeah when she finds out the truth i don't think she feels awful but she definitely feels like something was stolen from her as well and then they can reconcile going forward but at the same time it's like with no word five years with no i mean it was stolen from him too yeah and then once we're on the same page then we can we can move on from there but i want to see the groveling it feels good in my cold heart i like that part I like. I just feel like you're punishing him for something that's not his fault. You, because now it's you personally, are punishing him for something that's not his fault. Like, if, well, if no. The Sam, thing is, like, like if know. she had known, like, if he had walked in and immediately explained everything, then I wouldn't have needed that groveling. But because he also held off a long time on explaining it to her, he uh, he told he begged her to, to be able to explain, and she refused. And that's her prerogative because she raised a child as a single mother for five years, Julie. <laughs> She yeah, gets to do what she wants. missed out on the first five years of his of his child's life against yeah, his will. Yeah, they're both the heroes of the book. I'm not saying that, but I just like that. It's the dark. That's, that's some shit you need to unpack. I, I don't think I need to, though, because there's always like a fantastical element to romance novels where I'm like, I don't want this in real life, but I like it in the book. That's fair. I don't know. How would you unpack that? I don't know what there is to unpack about. I'm a little vengeful spirit. I'm okay with that. And no, it's, it's that you want to inflict your vengeance on the people who don't necessarily deserve it and it'll still make you feel better it's not vengeance in my mind it's not vengeance if it was justice in your mind it's not even justice it's like emotional closure it's like getting to let out like five years of grief in a way because like but in a way that's uh, that's lashing out at somebody but she's not lashing out though she's with she's well what she's doing actually is mostly holding a boundary of not letting him back into her life. And he feels bad about it, and that's fine. Like, he deserves to feel bad about that because he did abandon her. Fault okay. or not, Julie, he abandoned her. No, no, no. If you, if you say, like, oh, yeah, she's just setting a boundary, it's fine. But him groveling is actually pushing against the boundary. But did he ever actually grovel? All he ever said you, to her. You were just the one saying you loved her. how he groveled. <laughs> I know, but, okay, now we're parsing. Now we're getting into the weeds of it. I don't know if he actually, like, he never got on his knees. He never apologized (laughs) so what did you like about it then i like that he felt bad that's true he did feel bad internally and we got to see that because we're reading a book but he i think he was kind of a cocky asshole the whole time oh yeah they both were they're those morally gray characters we're not going to like them unequivocally like the last book you know you say they i didn't have as much of a problem with roxanne as i did with him she really only i feel like did kind one kind of sus thing and that was refusing to tell him that that was his kid for so long but like everything else she did was kind of chill no, but she's like cocky though. Like I'm not the cockiness. I think is separate from making bad choices because like we can all agree that Luke made bad choices from time to time. But they both have like a cocky personality. Like I'm a star of the show personality. Sure. Yeah. Which is fine. Where were we? Uh, Sam. They're gonna get their revenge. So then, uh, essentially, Roxy and Luke, uh, at a point, reconcile when Roxy. They find out Roxy had a baby. That's your baby. 
like, whoa, mind blown. You can't. And then they get a little abusive with each other. Um, bloody lips and all of that. Like, it's just the way that they Doesn't are. Did he handcuff her to something? Like, it's awful. They're he awful did, to each other. He did handcuff her. And then she bloodies his lip in that altercation. <laughs> and then he explains, finally, finally, after like weeks, he explains what's going on with Sam and that they need to like pull off this one last elaborate heist. And then we get into kind of like an Ocean's Eleven, like little breakdown of the book where they essentially um, ruin Sam's political career by planting photographs, uh, blaming him for a jewel thief, a jewel thief? Theft? A jewel theft, an elaborate jewel theft um, that they did and then planted it on him. And so he ends up losing his mind, which he never really had a really firm grip on as a character to begin with. And, um, like, they, like, describe him as being in a padded cell, thinking that he is the president of the United States, <laughs> um, which is fine. I didn't like him very much. You know, I'm not a big fan of, like, using mental illness as a scapegoat for villainy. Like, he's just a bad person. We didn't have to do the mental illness piece of it. But, you know, he's a bad dude. He had a, he lost his grip on reality. Goodbye. And we wrap it up very nicely. Max sadly loses his battle um, with his um, Alzheimer's and loses his life on Halloween, which was, like, very poignant because of, like, Houdini dying on Halloween. Like, it's a long history of magicians. And there's, like, a very lovely tribute, uh, like, at his funeral. And Roxy moves on in her future with Luke. They're together. It ends classic, classic Nora Robert ending with a proposal. Um, with her agreeing that they're going to give up their life of crime and just become like very domestic and create a home base in New Orleans. And I have one quote that is in the last page of the book. And I think it just kind of sums up how I felt about both of them as characters throughout the whole thing. Because if you look at this as a romantic novel, that's one thing. If you look at it as a fiction book, um, it's another thing. And so I'm going to kind of choose to look at it more of like one of her crime books with a romantic bent. But she says, uh, Roxy says to Luke at the end, right after he proposes, and he kind of lays out this really domestic future for them. I love who you turned out to be. And I think that's fair for both of them. Like they had a huge character arc from beginning to end, um, of like the span of their entire lives. Julie is looking at her phone. <laughs> I'm. I'll, I also have a quote from the end. Oh, don't. Um, it's not quite as far back though. It's it's when they're talking about Max dying, and Luke and Roxanne are talking, and and um, I think she mentions kind of being. He basically asks how she's feeling about Max dying. Um, and he's saying that I know I couldn't keep him forever, no matter how much magic I tucked up my sleeve. It helps knowing you loved him as much as I did. And maybe in some strange way, the five years you were gone gave me the time to concentrate so closely on him when he needed me most. He hung on until you came back and I could go on without him. And Luke says, fate? And she says, life's a good enough word. And I, I don't know. I like that one. It was kind of cheesy, but I was like, I like that. Like He's like, magic? And she was like, no, it's just that's just life. That's not part of the act. Yeah. I love that. She's good. Nora Roberts Nora is good. She's got her moments. She really does. Maybe not as much in 1992, but still. There's a thread here of, like, a really good author. You know what wasn't a good author thing? The fucking Philosopher's Stone that was, like, supposed to kind of be a through line of the book and then just petered out into nothing. Well, I think for the Philosopher's Stone thing, for people listening, um, Max, when he starts to lose his grip a little bit, um, 
gets really obsessed with the Philosopher's Stone and finding it because it's like immortality. And he feels himself kind of losing um, his skills with magic, losing his grip on his memories and feeling like he's at the end of his life. And so he's obsessed with the Philosopher's Stone. And that, um, in the end, Luke and Roxy get the Philosopher's Stone. They steal it from Sam, who had it, obviously, because he's the villain. And then when um, Max dies, they put the Philosopher's Stone in his hand, which is just a regular stone. It's like gray rock. But they put it in his hand and they bury it with him. And they say, you know, we hope that this was, it's giving you whatever you needed in the afterlife, which I think that's kind of just, it was a plot device of like maybe more of a symbol of his Alzheimer's than any like legitimate plot point. Like it wasn't really driving the for- the story forward as much as it was like representative of him losing his or like desperately clinging to his um, life. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, there was just so much about it, like almost ruining his relationship with his like loving wife, how he was so obsessed with it that he wasn't mm-hmm. even like, you know, engaging with her anymore. And there, I, I don't know, just they, they spun this like magical thing about it. And I guess I was just kind of bummed out when it was like not it wasn't just that it was a rock. It was that there, it, there was just no fanfare about it, like being a rock they gave it to him when he was already like pretty deep in the clutches of dementia and he like i think was at that point largely nonverbal. and he they just like put it in his hand while he was sitting in the house and i think he like took notice of it but didn't i don't know it it just it it was anticlimactic to me in that Mm -hmm. way but i guess if you're right if it's talking about him sort of desperately clinging on to that that part of his life then it would be anticlimactic as he sort of faded away yeah and i think that might be like I don't know if she had ever experienced losing someone to Alzheimer's, but it might have been something that she was trying to put, like, more of a realistic spin on it. Because Nora Roberts does not shy away from, like, r- like real magical stories and yeah. the paranormal and stuff like that. She writes a lot of, like, witch stories, which a lot of those I actually really enjoy as well. But this didn't feel like that. This was a lot of, like, mm-hmm. sleight of hand magic, no actual magic. Even the Philosopher's mm-hmm. Stone was like, it's just a rock. And life is just life. And you kind of like, it's not like super chill and like a haladida romantic story, but that's a part of the story. That's a really big part of the story. Like Max is a character becoming this, like he was this larger than life character. And at the end, um, he left a legacy, but his physical body and mental body had faded away. Yeah. Very tragically. I love Max. Except for that whole, like, I want to be Except back in the, for womb the womb thing. thing. <laughs> and the paint your barn doors thing. Max <laughs> from the 90s. Par. <laughs> All right. Cool. What, do you have any more serious pros or serious cons about this book? Um, I think I would just say, like, if you are interested in older romance novels, like, give it a whirl because it's kind of representative, I think, of, like, this time period and books of this time period. But if you're not really interested in, like, books that are really problematic at places and you just want to <laughs> have, like, a lighthearted good time, maybe pass on this one because Nora Roberts actually does write um, less problematic stuff in her later career. And she's still writing now. I haven't read anything recently. But this wouldn't be, like, one I'd be like, oh, this is the Nora Roberts book to pick up. I think there's a lot better ones out there in both the crime and non-crime uh, genre. I do like a combo, though. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's rate this book. What would you give the spicy rating? I mean, there's sex in it um, a fair amount. Not like a hell of a lot. Like at least like two or three scenes, maybe. Maybe like um, 
four or five? Four? Yeah, I feel Three like, or four? I feel like last time when we read The Duke Who Didn't, you were like, oh, I, I don't remember a whole lot of the sex scenes of this. And that's how we feel about this one. None of them were, like, memorable enough that I give a shit about them now. Very vanilla, kind of, like, formulaic sex scenes. Like, if you've read one Nora Roberts romance novel, you've read all the sex scenes. They don't change much from book to book. So what would you rate? What would you rate the spice at? Like a three, yeah. Okay. What about a sentiment rating? I'm rating this purely on romance and not on the book as a whole. Yeah, that's fair. We've done that historically. Four? Yeah. The more we talked about it, the less I liked the romance part. I liked other parts of the book a lot, but their relationship was weird. Yeah, I think this is more fun as a fiction book, like a fiction crime, like book than it is as a romance book yeah I'm stop also hitting each it. other <laughs> stop hitting each other yeah four for hitting each other and the emotional incest of siblings like stop hitting your sister yeah oh, stop hitting yucky. your stop breaking your brother's teeth like and when they when they grew up like everyone stopped making that comparison but like when they first got together and she said like oh my children found each other i was like absolute barf gross barf they said the word incest too many times they did, yeah. He was like, oh, this feels like incest. And then everyone was like, no, it's okay. You're not related to her, for real. Just go bang the shit out of her. It's fine. You get that. You'll Even... bang it right out of your system. You won't feel that anymore. <laughs> you'll bang one out. You won't... You'll be fine. So not gross. like even recognize that they literally grew up together from a very young age. Maybe like 11 isn't so young, but like if she was like seven or eight, like that's really young to be growing up with someone. Yucky. A little bit. Do you want to read one of our fan mails? We got two. I do. I have one for us. I have one. Well, I have a a meet cute. Wait, you have another one? Because that's not what I'm looking at. Uh, Billy? Is that a meet cute? Billy wrote a meet cute for us. And well, he called it, he says not a meet cute, but cute nonetheless. I think it's fine. I think it's a meet cute. Did I miss this one? Oh, that means I'm going to be excited. Okay, go ahead. Because I remember he sent a question, but I don't remember about a meet cute. Oh. Billy's question was, what didn't the Duke do Um, from the last episode? Which, by the way, the Duke didn't do anything because. He was an absentee duke. He would, he didn't collect taxes. He didn't actually rule over them because he was just there secretly as their friend the whole time. So the duke didn't do shit. And it was a running joke in the book that the townspeople called the duke the duke who didn't because yeah. he didn't do shit. <laughs> he wasn't a part of their lives <laughs> at all. But they all knew it was him the entire time. So it was kind of funny. Like it was like his nickname, the duke who didn't at the end the of the duke book. The duke who didn't. But also Billy left us a meet cute. So this is for our friend Billy, a fan of the show. Fan of the pod. (laughs) Fan of the pod. He says, like most people who aren't lucky enough to bump heads with a hottie while leaning forward to smell the same daffodil, my husband and I met online. Which everyone here met their significant other online. We feel you. You're in good company. Um, He says, we'll call the site Lots of Carp because I don't know if he thought Plenty of Fish was like trademarked or something. (laughs) I can say that. (laughs) Lots of Carp. It's like so of the era too. Like, is anyone on Plenty of Fish anymore? I doubt it. It's like an early date. That's where I met. Yeah. Um, We started talking on Yahoo Instant Messenger. Woof, we're old. And he was smart and charming and everything I ever wanted. So I thought, wow, I really have to do something to sweep this guy off his feet. He'd mentioned he was a poet and had been published in his school's literary journal and even shared a very sweet poem about a boy who brings his lover a single yellow rose. So we messaged back and forth for a bit more and we're setting up our first date. I mentioned that I'm going to bring him a surprise. Without pause, he asks, is it cat food? I ask, do you have a cat? No. I brought him a single yellow rose and a can of Fancy Feast. 
We are now married and have a cat. Oh. They've been together for four billion years. Julie married them. And FYI. married those two. She's an efficient. That was also your I first performed. boyfriend. Can we out that? Is that bad that we would out that? <laughs> Billy was my 13-year-old boyfriend. Billy learned some things about himself <laughs> since then. <laughs> Upon dating me. <laughs> oh, Billy man. decided one was enough. I'm good. Dudes forever. <laughs> Dudes from now on. It's actually the first time I ever first time I ever met. Now I, I get to share friend anecdotes because these are again our friends that we know in real life. I met Billy when Julie and Billy were dating at Knott's Berry Farm Halloween Haunt. Did you really? I did. That was we like, dated for like three weeks. And that, How did it line him. up perfectly with that? That's so funny. You brought him to Halloween Haunt as your boyfriend. And I was like, oh my God, one of my friends has a boyfriend. Because none of my friends had ever had a boyfriend before. And then none of my friends had a boyfriend after that for like six years. So it was like a really great run of like, this is the first. He was also your prom date um, to prom. I haven't been friends with that guy since we were, like, 11 years old. And then Billy's husband, um, we met – I met him, like, when they were only dating for a few weeks, and we were at a community college show, and we all got trapped in an auditorium together for, like, <laughs> three hours because you were trying to be nice to Billy, like, oh, we'll come and support your thing. But no one came, so it was just, like, three people in the audience. And the teacher who was running it, like, made everyone get up on stage and perform. And so, like, Lewis had to get up. And read a poem in front of, like, a three-person auditorium. It was so weird. And our friend Jamil had to get up, and she sang The Lion King. And I didn't have to get up, and I'm very pleased about that. Like, the idea – I was not present for this. The idea that you didn't get the fuck up and walk out of there when asked to stand up and perform for this weird teacher and two strangers <laughs> – makes like, like, if she had just turned her gaze upon me, I would have thrown up where I stood – Rather than get up on that stage. Being perceived as a nightmare and in that context with no preparation is like actually like people have actual nightmares about that. Yeah, it was like an actual, it was like a fever dream again. It was like a nightmare. (laughs) And then it was a weird day at this community college. We all went outside to do this like peace stick ceremony uh, where they put like a pole in the ground for like a peace pole. And then they brought, like, a fire person who, like, spins fire around. But because it's a college campus, he couldn't light the fire. So it was just this dude (laughs) twirling sticks around. Billy, I hope you know how much we love you that we stayed for this whole thing. What hell? We should have left. hell. The thing about Billy is he would have left if he didn't have to be there. But we stayed for him. Did Did Billy perform? I don't recall. If he, oh, he didn't leave an impression, huh? If he did, it was probably just very neutral, and he doesn't talk about it anymore. But Lewis and Jamil <laughs> still talk about this to this day of the act of having to get up in front of an auditorium and spontaneously compose poetry and music. Oh, God. College was fun. feel nauseous. Nightmare. College was so fun. <laughs> we had a good time. Thanks for writing, Billy. We appreciate it. Anybody else wants to send in their meet cutes or book suggestions or just say hello, we'll probably read about you and talk about you on the air. Dude, say hi to us. Just like drop in and say hi. And like, I also realize that I've been single for the majority of my life. If you don't have a meet cute, but you're just like, I want to talk about, you know, not being in love and what that feels like. Dude, we can also be like a listening ear to that because Julie and I were like chronically single for a long, me more than anyone, um, a long ass time and so if anyone just wants a, a calming ear or anything like that just someone to like talk to 
we can be here that we can be here for that as well if anyone out there wants to write to us we are at podofconvenience at gmail.com and we're on tiktok and instagram and twitter but the twitter is dead i hate twitter i don't like it so (laughs) tiktok and instagram primarily pod of con or pod of convenience next book what's the next book gonna be I have ideas because I will be traveling for two and a half weeks with my parents. And so I'm going to need hella places to go in my mind palace. Books and such. Have you heard of, and I brought this up the other day, Akotar. Oh, uh, yes, I have. Is that, it's fairy porn. Are you interested in that? A crown of what? Thorns and roses. No, a court of something. A court. What is it? It's a series, dude. I'm gonna get in trouble because like the fans of Akotar are fucking feral, and I've never read it, but I've a seen a court it. of thrones and roses. That's yeah, what it a is. court of th- is that the first one? So it's a series, and I don't want to read all fucking five or whatever. No, of them, let's just but... the f- just the first one. We'll dip our toe. It's young adult as well, so once again, we're gonna age ourselves, but. I'm, you know, I'm down to read anything. Is it YA? I heard it's like super sexual. How is it YA? Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's adult. See, but this is cool because we literally know nothing about it. Fuck it. Yeah, let's do it. This is this one says adult. One of them said young adult, but one of them says adult. I know of three character names and that's it. And it's only because of thirst trappers on TikTok. Courtney suggested that we read Fifty Shades of Grey and rip it apart, which to me honestly sounds fun. But mm. if you want to, um, see, I was gonna go wait a little as- less trash. I was gonna I'm wait until porn. we read her meet cute, but because or not her meet cute, but her email, because then we can like use her recommendation for the next episode. But I didn't think you'd ever agree to that. But yeah, Julie, what part of if you email it to us, I will read it? Is no one understanding? <laughs> <laughs> I will read it. I will read Fifty Shades of Grey. I can. I imagine that'd be a pretty quick read, though. So I could probably do both on this trip. I um, have read Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, in fact, I've read all of them and I've seen all of the movies. And getting a little bit drunk and watching those movies and just ripping them to shreds is one of my favorite things to do. Fifty so Shades I of Grey. Happily do that with you. My mom watched all of the Fifty Shades of Grey movies and read all of them, and I'm outing her because I'm sure she's not proud of that, but. Like, she would go to the theater with her friends to watch Fifty Shades of Grey. I, I didn't see any in theaters, but I saw all of them eventually. Um, I'm voting, let's put both on our list. Yeah. However many you read in India, you just tell me and I'll read the same amount. Okay, I might start with Fifty Shades of Grey because I imagine it's faster. It's a quick one. And then um, if we do end up doing Fifty Shades of Grey first, we will start our next episode with Courtney's email. Perfect instead of ending it that way and just so you guys know we only have one email on deck so if you were thinking about writing us an email now is your chance because <laughs> after that we'll have no more fan mail to read um i've known courtney since we were seven years old that's wild yep that's the wedding where julie got real smashed had a real good time <laughs> i get smashed at everybody's wedding literally everybody did you guys walk into a wake like really drunk we didn't <laughs> Courtney, if you're listening to this, <laughs> you're going to learn a lot about your wedding. Does she not know about that? I don't know if she knows because I was fucking out of my mind. But there was a – it wasn't a wake. It was a celebration of life next door. And I kept going out with the smokers. Not that I smoke, but we just would all go outside together and talk very loudly and kiss each other outside. And it turned out we were right next to an open door <laughs> to that celebration of life. Um, I like how you <laughs> casually threw in and kiss each other outside. We just all kiss each other a lot when we're drunk. I don't know why I always miss these parties. That's never happened when I'm around. 
I'm like the sobering not kiss energy. I bring it in and I'm like, guys, we can't do this. No kissing. <laughs> yeah, that happened it's... at that one party with like where you guys all played spin the bottle. Um, and I had to work that yeah. night. So I missed the spin the bottle party where uh, Brooke ended up like pantsless on the lawn. <laughs> that was actually a different party. The spin the bottle party was different. Okay, I missed both of those parties then. They were both not um, proud moments in my life. So that's fine. It's fine if you miss those. I don't know. I want to just like be a part of it. I want to know what's going on. It's making out. Embarrassing. Making out with your friends. I know at one point we went into the bridal suite and drank a bunch of the champagne that they had left there at Courtney's wedding. And then we took what we thought were very sexy photos on this like fainting couch that they had. And then later we're like, oh, that's just two drunk people laying on a couch looking real sloppy. Wait, who was it? Billy. You and Billy? Yeah. That's really funny. Just went right in there and started drinking random alcohol. (laughs) Bad choices were made that night. It was great. It was an extremely fun wedding. Courtney, we love you so much. And we miss you. Terribly. She has a baby now. She does have a baby. All of her friends have babies now. Just the one. Okay, a few more of my other friends have babies. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) My Indian friends, which is a separate group. Were you embarrassed at me? Huh? You're embarrassed to me? I can't be friends with your Indian friends? No, you can't. You're just, it'll never work. I actually used to make you do all my Shanti Club stuff with me. Do you remember that? Not really, but I believe you. Yeah, you had to like come to practices for Indian Club and like help me make props and things. And then at the shows, I'd have you backstage helping with like audio. Oh, or like video recording. I do remember video recording ones. Yeah, you've had to do a lot of things. You're indoctrinated in my Indian life, whether you like it or not. I like it. Good. And you look beautiful in your bridesmaid's dress. Oh, my gosh. I have the most beautiful Indian outfit to wear at Shruti's wedding, and I get to wear it once in my entire life because it is the only time that it will not be appropriation. It will be appreciation, and I'm so excited. Yes, and I got... It's beautiful. Brittany dropped her um, the scarf off, and so I'm going to take it to India. I'm going to match it for jewelry. I think I can do something really interesting because of, like, the flowers on it. We, like, we might not go super traditional. I might be like, let's do something interesting. I don't know. Fancy. We'll have to go and find out what shopping looks like right now. Fancy. Fingers crossed I don't get COVID. Go, team. <laughs> go, team, not getting COVID before your trip to Austin. Yeah. Or if you get it, get it, like, day one there so that you're recovered by the time we go Yeah, 100%. I'd have to get it on, like, the, the first day so that – well, no, I can't get it at all in India because if I get a positive PCR, I can't come back to America. <laughs> So, oh, you're right. Um, Fair enough. A lot, a lot of my travel plans to Austin hinge on me not getting COVID. Otherwise, I'm stuck in India and we're all fucked. Fair. Anyways. But you're going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. I'm having a great time. Let's end this. Anyway, email us. Call us. Wait, don't do that. Unless you have <laughs> our number. <laughs> then you can call us. Tweet us. Uh, no, don't do that either. Truthy hates Twitter now. Tweets and twats. TikTok message us contact us we love you we do love you whole bunch whole bunch we love you goodbye goodbye